Hello, and welcome to Just Talking. We've been uh, away for a while, but we're back. My name is Michael Lipton. And my name is Josh Lipton. And uh, this is our fifth episode of uh, Just Talking. Uh, been a bit of a disruption to... Uh, to things around. I don't, know if, I don't know if you noticed, Michael, but there's like a bit of a pandemic going around. Yeah. Uh, I was actually just uh, listening to last episode that we did, and I had some statements at the beginning. And I'm, I'm going to be bold about this. I stand by a lot of what I said, actually. So for those who weren't listening or don't remember since it's been a while, remind them what we said about the... the at the time, by the way. So when was the last recording? Oh, um, before Fe- social distancing. February? Yeah. I, I said that I thought things um, were being a little bit overblown, which I don't stand by. But I also said that I think in the end, the economic consequences and effects that are not health related are going to outweigh the health related effects. And I completely stand by that statement. I've actually been you know, crunching some numbers because uh, that's, that's who we Liptons are. We crunch numbers. Um, so... In, or number crunchers. Yeah. In Canada, do you know how many deaths there are outside of long-term care facilities? I do not. 863 in a population of three, 37.5 million. Sorry, uh, 37.6 million. If you take out the 100,000 in long-term care, it's 37.5 million. 863 deaths out of 37.5 million. That is 23 thousandths of a percent. Okay, now I'm curious, what is the death rate within long-term care? Uh, very high, actually. It's uh, 2.7%. Okay, so you said it's 2.7% of all people in long-term care. 38 deaths out of 120,000 was the approximate that I, I got. Okay, so that's not even including, that's just like, if you're in long-term care, almost 3% have died. Forget about if you caught it or not. Just like, there's a 3%. That's That's pretty high, but... So, I mean, I'll give a counter argument because I, I, in some ways, agree with you, in some ways, disagree. So, like, you could say, look how low the death rate is in Canada. But at the same rate, you could say, but that's because of social distancing. We can't argue a counterfactual that without social distancing, what if it was in the millions? Like, what is the rate that you think the reduction that's worth this this cost well, of social distancing? I, I'm not saying that social distancing was overblown. I think it's the appropriate government response. I think people's panic about it, that this was going to be a huge thing and that there, you know, we wouldn't be able... I think that's the issue. I think, essentially, if you just said, yeah, I think that um, once we hear from you know people with more knowledge and people who have job this is to study it and say, yeah, these are the appropriate measures to take, the appropriate measures will be taken. You don't need to go and buy 900 rolls of toilet paper and 50 <laughs> pounds of flour. You don't need to go buy up all the resources. You don't need to buy 9,000 masks and 1,400 gloves, right? Now, I'll say this. I do think, I mean, I think everyone thinks the people buying toilet paper were stupid. Yeah. Like, or, or crazy. Like, for one, just, I keep saying this, let's pretend that the pandemic really was the end of the world. Like, truly was the worst case scenario. You know, we're f- like, just society as we know is destroyed. There's no logistics, uh, there's anarchy, no government, nothing. Are you really happy that you had toilet paper? Is that really the thing where you're like, thank God we have toilet paper. Forget fresh water or pasta or, or gasoline. Toilet paper is the, now the world's like number one resource or, or, or you know, you know, currency. It, it, it could be like, um, I don't know if you've ever played the video game Fallout. Um, I, yeah. In, in that video game, the, the form of currency that's used is bottle caps. Um, in, yeah. As coins. I, may, who knows? Maybe toilet paper rolls would have just become 
currency, you know? It would have been he, he who controls the pants controls the universe, you know? <laughs> Except here's the thing. Like, again, not that I'm a huge Bitcoin bull, but, like, I've done a little research into it. And so, like they say, what is something that makes a currency valuable? And, and you know, one thing is with bottle caps, like, I mean, you could technically... Um, like forge them but it'd be pretty tough but i feel like it wouldn't be too tough to like um make a forgery of toilet paper rolls like take a paper towel roll cut it in thirds boom you got three paper towel rolls you just like i don't know that seems a little off and again my big thing was like what's the utility of toilet paper forget about it from a currency standpoint and all these theoreticals but like you wipe your ass with it that's yeah that's that's a that's That's, is a utility I mean, that it's is not. a utility, but like you could use a bidet. You could use, you know, a paper towel if you really wanted to. You could use a towel if you got really desperate. You could there take are a alternatives. shower. Yeah. There are alternatives. If you are, if it's truly the end of the world, no logistics, anarchy, what is your, like, what is the alternative for past, like for eating or drinking? Like, like I said, I understood some, like, runs on. Like in the grocery store beneath us, we live on top of a grocery store in a condo. Uh, not that I'm like camping out there in case people are wondering, but like all the pastas were sold out for so long. That one I understood. That one I'm like, okay. Lysol wipes, masks, fine. I understand. I, I'm saying it is irrational to hoard, but it's a rational irrationality. At least like I can understand why someone would think that way. The one that always I thought was weird was toilet paper and I did read an interesting article that tried to make it seem more rational but I don't think it it worked a little he basically said if if no one's going to work and you spend 40% of your time at work or your waking time at work and now you're taking those dumps at home you do need more toilet paper so I'm like okay you do need a little more toilet paper but like I didn't see people go like yeah you know what instead of buying one roll like thing let's buy two i saw people going like we need 10 and everyone was buying it at the same time like it was it was a that one was really the one where i was like that's irrational yeah and it's so it was the hoarders was what i was really when when i was like oh this is so overblown it was the hoarders and the other thing is the people who were talking about this as you know complete end times sort of situation because Honestly, of of all the things that that this has brought out, this has made me less concerned about humanity being wiped out by by a pandemic. Because if you'd asked me before, what are like the most probable ways that humanity just goes to like, oh, no more, um, global warming, nuclear war, uh, and pandemic, we're like, yeah, those are probably the three biggest. And now I'm like, pretty sure we can weather this stuff. We've had a this was like a moderate pandemic, and we've weathered this. We're like six months into it now, and global deaths are like quarter million that's global response has been pretty good i think uh, i think we're i'm actually less anxious about the idea of a pandemic now that i've kind of lived through one i'm like yeah fair but i'll also push back a little so like one i'll push back on two ways one lots of people said like we're lucky that this was like the pandemic because it could have been far more deadly and a far worse one there could still be another one down the road yeah there could be a second wave could mutate and, but we'll be better I mean, prepared when it comes, it, I would say. For sure. So a lot of people say it's a good thing that this happened because, uh, you know, I, I read one author uh, who I really like, Scott Galloway, who compared it to a vaccine where he said with a vaccine, you give the body a small dose 
of, you know, normally it's a dead cell, whatever the, the flu is that you're fighting, but like, so you can learn about it. But it has a, there's a chance of an adverse effect, but it's so that in the long run, you can learn about it and adapt. And like, we had a small adverse reaction to this pandemic. We weren't prepared. We weren't as prepared as we should have been. It taught me a lot that like world leaders just aren't, People are too worried about politics, and our politicians should be looking 5, 10, 20 years in the future, and instead their main concern is raising money so they can keep a race going tomorrow. Like, it's much more short-term thinking, and we need people who are long-term thinking, so that's one thing I learned. Um, And yes, I do think I'm not as concerned about a pandemic, per se, but it made me much more bearish on humanity um, because I've seen... The level of fake news that spread, the amount of, my biggest concern with this is the amount of privacy uh, breaches and like we're already okay with people taking our data and like Facebook proved that and that people don't care enough about their own privacy and their own data. And so now I think that it's under the guise of you know public health i think it's only going to allow more and more data abuses so i'm actually very bearish on like a long-term future uh for privacy from a privacy standpoint that like i would not be surprised if there's lots of countries that use this as the groundworks for 15 20 years from now having an autocracy that like runs the state via government surveillance everyone's being watched all the time by their phones and stuff like that so i think that that's is, made me a little i think what, that's way overblown so, partly because maybe. i don't know if you know this but anytime that there's any sort of outbreak like even when like there was um wasn't smallpox it was like one of those diseases where just like this should be extinct but these anti-vaxxers have caused this to come back sort of thing anytime there's one of those outbreaks they do contact tracing and they that sort of stuff and they've, there's never been like, oh, people contact traced which kids had measles or, or smallpox. They're invading our privacy. Everyone's privacy was okay in the end. And we was like, yeah, that was a very appropriate use of voluntarily By the way, submitting I'm not a little bit I'm... of our privacy in order to reduce the spread of a virus or a disease. That's, that's what they're doing now. It's, what's different is they're talking about using digital tools for it. And that's really just how effective they are at it. It's not that there's anything well, again, different in you, idea. It's just we're better at this now because we have better tools in order to do it. I, I think there. So there's this whole thing. Is it a difference of degree or a difference of kind? I think this is a difference of kind. I also am not saying that I think Canada, which is where we live, is going to become an autocracy. Into I'm saying you don't think there are rogue uh, states um, that would say you know what this is a good way of uh, seizing power. Um. You don't think China's using this to to take advantage of their citizens? And, China's and already other... doing that. I don't think they're doing that I know, to, you, to a much you greater that... degree. I think when you have zero... You don't think so? I think when, when people have zero civil liberties, then they, there's not a lot of... Um, there's diminishing returns on, 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 on how much more you can take. They already live I, in, I mean, in, a, in a police state with 100% surveillance. I don't think this has actually I, increased it significantly str- as much. I strongly disagree. I think it's increased it. And again, I think it's made it even more likely to happen elsewhere because people are now fearful of their neighbors. People are fearful of immigrants. People, It's, it's made a lot of people normally like, you know, a world event brings people together. I found that this has... It's brought people 
of the same kind together. So, you know, oh, we're Canadians. Oh, we're Americans. We can get through this. But it's pushed other people apart. It's pushed countries apart because countries don't want to, oh, we, like, what was it the U.S. was saying? We're not going to send supplies to other countries. We need them. I think this is, again, this is, you're right. I'm very, it's theoretical. It's long term. But I think that small changes today can have big domino ripple effects in the future. And I think a lot of things that are happening now are setting up um, it's made me more bearish, I guess. It's made me more bullish on the fact that we will survive as a human race, and I, I'm actually 100% with you there. It's made me very bearish on what kind of future we will have. I, I, I disagree. I, I mean, I've, I've been... My, my general concern about that happening has been at, a, like, a relatively moderate level consistently. I don't think this has, like, been a... One of those moments where I'm like, oh, this is a game changer for that. Um, I also, yeah. I also think in general, I, I don't. Maybe, maybe it's just I'm, uh, I'm on different parts of the internet. But I actually think you know this is, this has shown quite a bit of, for humanity, it's shown that collective action by by large groups of people, for the most part, when required, uh, for for the sake of, of of ad- advancing uh, a common goal. People are can be very good at that. I'm actually been very pleasantly surprised at how effective it's been in general. I mean, yes, there have been, you know, I've seen people where I'm like, you shouldn't be doing that, and I've seen some of the protests against this stuff. I'm like, you guys are being kind of stupid. But I think in general, the the ability of people just come together when required has been rather, I don't know, encouraging to me have, uh, on, on people in general. I see, again, I see both sides. I've been very encouraged in some ways that, you know, I think people have rallied around healthcare workers. They've realized the value of their friends and family much more. I think we, uh, many people have seen, you know, we're, we're not treating our elderly right and we're not giving them, you know, we should visit them more. We should send them more love and care. Lots of things like that. I also think there's a lot of people who have done the exact opposite and have, use this as an opportunity to benefit such as hoarding masks then trying to sell them on amazon for 10 times more Uh, lots of people who have um, used this as an opportunity to spread fake news to again push their own agendas Um, people who have put others at danger for their own profit large corporations who have applied for the ppe in the u.s where you know it's again supposed to be for small businesses and shake shack and the lakers applied and got like i think I've seen the, I've seen the good, I've seen the bad, and again I've seen some good things that are going to come out of this, some really good things. And I also think there's going to be some really negative long-term impacts. And again, that's just how I see things. Um, might also have to do with the fact that I've been watching Westworld. I've, I, Aaron and I just uh, watched season one, two, and three over the last month and a bit. So, have you watched any of it? I've seen the first two seasons, but I haven't seen a single episode of season three yet. None of it. Not even a single episode. No. I feel like we spoke about this like two, three days ago. Was it on a podcast? No. Then I don't remember. <laughs> I, I like this idea that your, uh, your, your knowledge is limited to what has been put to record. If, it, if you don't have yeah. physical, not physical, digital evidence of it, it didn't happen. It's like the old saying, picture, it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I think that you probably should develop the idea of object permanence. Nah. 
Overrated? Uh, Object permanence, overrated. That's your hot take for the week. Very overrated. Okay, so do you wear your sweatpants out and about? No. No, I do not. I think so you're that like, is, um, okay, sweatpants are home. Sweatpants are, are a home or if like, so if I go out to, back when, you know, going out to, to the clubs was the thing, uh, back in the before times, um, uh, if I went out with my friends and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going home at the end of this because it's going to be a long night and I stayed over at my friend's place. When I get back, I would change into sweatpants because it's more comfortable. But like, I guess it's in someone's house. I don't know if it's my house, but it, it, okay. it, the sweatpants are not on in between this place and the other place. In okay. Between my and what, home what are your thoughts home. on, I'll call them fancy sweatpants. I have a friend who wears, he calls them fancy sweatpants. You know, they're like designer, they're like fitted, they're, you know, a stretchy material. I'm like, they're still sweatpants. Like they look, they, they do look nicer, but they're still sweatpants. Because he wears them out and about all the time. What are your thoughts? I, I think I would have to see these sweatpants, but my, my general thought oh, would be... So- I think I don't I do think um, if they're if they're nice pants, I think the reason why I, I consider my sweatpants is like indoor clothes is that they're, they're really good sweatpants. They're root sweatpants. I don't think I, I own any non root sweatpants anymore because they're just so comfortable, but they're not. I, this is not the image I want to project to the world, I think is what it is. OK, and do you think given the current situation that it's more okay because like i've seen people where i'm just like that person does not give a fuck but i'm kind of like normally i'd be like kind of like you know wow that person really doesn't give a fuck and now i'm like good for them they don't they really don't give a fuck i don't know like just like a woman literally looked like she literally crawled out of bed went down went into line to the lcbo i also live on top of a liquor store so liquor store and, and grocery store just bought some booze and then I feel like she just went right back to her building and went right back into bed and just like drink. It's like leave the house, don't change, get booze, come back. I approve, but this is what I'm gonna say. Yeah. If she had done the same thing and gone to the grocery store instead of the LCBO, I'd probably still be okay with it, but not to the same degree. But because it was literally like I'm gonna get some booze, I'm gonna go back and like I, I'm. This is a I don't give a fuck. That is the image she's projecting to the world, and I yeah. back that. It's an aesthetic. By the way. I want to say I'm not judging anyone. I like I do you. I don't give a shit what you wear, but personally, I'm trying. I I'm trying to not wear sweatpants. I find I'm actually less productive around the house when I wear sweatpants. So I'm trying to wear jeans or shorts because I'm fucking hot as hell all the time lately. Um, it's actually been pretty nice the last couple of days. Have you been getting out? I've not been getting out much. Um. I, I will say right now, uh, just to last comment for me on the sweatpants, right now I'm more okay with people wearing sweatpants out compared to to once this is over. I think right now it's, I mean, okay, so one of the, the first times that I went out once, this was a thing, uh, I went to meet some friends at a park and we stood on, like, we, we sat on opposite benches. So, like, we kept we kept our distance, but we went to go see them. I wore this um shirt, which was, uh, which was uh, Grandpa Benny's. Um, it was like this tribal shirt, which I don't think I'd usually just wear outside, but I was just like, who, who cares? I really liked the shirt. Uh, I got a little bit of flack for wearing it um, from my friends and from Rachel. Rachel is giving me a look that's saying, yeah, yeah, a little bit of, a little bit of flack. How, you, want, you want to come over here and give your opinion on it? No, she's embarrassed that I even ever wore the shirt. Um, but I was like, yeah, why not? Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I... Again, 
my opinion is like you do you. You should not wear anything because any, like society tells you to. If you want to wear um, those spacers in your ears, do it. I'm not a fan, but you do you. If you want to wear an ugly like an ugly Christmas sweater in the middle of you know June, do you? Think it's weird, okay. but that's like do I you. was with you until that last one. I think ugly Christmas sweater is very time dependent because it's it's literally called an ugly Christmas sweater. It's not called an ugly sweater. If you want to wear an ugly sweater in June, first off, that's definitely a bad choice to you know weather dependent. Um, but you don't ugly, know where you don't know where I'm talking about. Middle uh, of Siberia. Boom. Fine. Okay. I'm I'm saying that that still I think ugly Christmas sweater. It's got Christmas in the name. That is a very time specific. Article of clothing. Okay, in my so I, I that's don't like know. one of the I'm only le- ones he could have said that would. I'm get this less reaction. actually sure of that because like there's ugly like Christmas sweaters that are like the Niners or something or like sports teams. Can you not wear it to a game? Can you wear it to the draft? Does it does it have Christmas stuff? Does it have like Christmas trees or Santa on it as well as the Niners? Or is it just a Niners it's, sweater? It's Jimmy Garoppolo the- riding a reindeer. <laughs> um. Uh. I think that, or he's in a sleigh passing out. In actually, yeah, you know what? It's uh, you know who it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't even get this joke out. It's it's terrible. It's Eli Manning in a sleigh handing out interceptions to all the other teams. Okay, I just think that 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 T-shirt should be um, the the official uniform of the uh, the New York Giants. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, until Daniel Jones throws up a winning season, that should be what they put on the side of their helmets that logo he'll eventually do it <laughs> oh i i don't Wait, i don't doubt that actually, i'm just saying is, until that time is eight and eight a winning season i'll accept it i guess not yeah i guess i'll accept it not not a losing season yeah once they once they have a like even if they're if they're they're like eight seven and one or if if they're seven seven and two, I'll accept it. Seven eight and one, I might I might allow it. Okay, when was the last time there were two ties? Not like I was gonna say in a season. Even in a season, probably doesn't happen. There that was back to back weeks um, a couple I know, years ago. Two, I know, but I'm saying it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. But two ties for a single team. That's unusual. Uh, I, I'm gonna guess probably probably happened once in the past this is completely off the top of my head 23 years once in the past 23 years you think wow okay. i don't know there, there's there's go 32 back and teams a year times that many seasons uh, i just i just feel like it would have happened once i don't know i'm gonna go i was gonna say over or under but i'm like i don't know what to i guess over in like the number of years i think there's like i don't even i, I think it's happened probably but i think it's been like 60 or 70 years since that happened how about how about this like way over next time we have a debate you use that as the question i won't look it up and you said an over under and i'll i'll use that as my uh, i'll guess on that one i won't look it up scouts honor no well okay all right i mean we already i can look it up now okay so actually that brings us to sports so how are you feel like obviously there are no sports right now beyond you know esports and you say chess I, I I'm I've been watching a lot of chess. The Magnus Carlsen Invitational was was wonderful. The the highest purse ever for a uh, online only tournament in chess history, quarter million dollars. Wow. Yeah. You you know who won the Magnus Carlsen Invi- uh, Invitational? Magnus Carlsen. Yep. Yeah. By the way, so sorry. So they'll good. pay me four million dollars just to watch. I don't know. No, I don't no, know no. if that's enough. Just what? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's I don't know. That's a pretty. It's pretty good for like a player to be able to come up with a person or to offer. You know, to to make a tournament, which was it's a good tournament. So wait, he put up his own money? No, he didn't put up his own money. He I think he was so able sponsors? to get sponsors to put. Otherwise, uh, why would he do it? He can't. He can't make money. Show the world, literally, he's the greatest. He he's already the the number. He's already like widely accepted as the greatest. He's definitely the best chess player of his generation, best chess player on the planet, and depending on who you ask, the best chess player of all time. Okay, so again, I don't want to go into this debate too long, but again, is chess a sport? This is a really good question. I would, I think maybe we could just save this for another time to do as a debate, or do you want to just do okay. it now? Do you want to just have this as our debate for for this week? Sure. All de- Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Um, sport is is such a to me a, a loosely defined thing, but there's some things that, that are very set. There are defined rules. There's a uh, there is an endpoint at which a, a a decision is made about a win loss or a tie. Um, that there has to be um, some level of. <sighs> It has to. It has to be a competition, essentially, um, and beyond that, where you draw the line for what's a sport versus a game versus like a, a challenge is is really debatable. Um, but I I think there is like small physical elements to it. I mean, I, I don't know if we've mentioned this on on the, the the podcast ever before, but it is actually strangely physically demanding to play top level chess. Yeah. These guys well, lose the whole thing was, uh, yeah. about two pounds a day one to two pounds a day during these tournaments based off of, you know, how quickly their hearts are going and how much energy their brain is using up uh, over these tournaments. They've, they've had people collapse at the tables from dehydration, even though there's like water and stuff. They've just like guys have just gotten emaciated over long tournaments because it is actually extremely physically demanding. By that logic is standing in the sun, a sport. Is that is that a a win loss? Is there defined <laughs> rules? No, but I'm saying but I'm saying can... that that's part of the definition okay, that I set up. Fine, you t- you take ten people, you say whoever whoever stands in the sun the longest without collapsing wins a prize. No, I don't. <laughs> I know. I, I I do find that whole stat about how much they lose interesting. You know me. I don't think it's a sport. I think a sport needs like it. It is definitely a competition. But you need physicality. You need, I agree, there needs to be win-loss slash, like, I guess I would say different teams. Like, the team can be an individual, but it can't be, like, a cooperative. We're like, we all work together to win. Like, okay. I don't think that works. I think you need, like, someone needs to win. It can't be, like, we all won together. That's why I said there has um, to be a decision one way or the other, right? For for each Well, competing. no, but you can make a decision. It has to be a competition. Yes, for each yeah. Yes, Exactly, because like again, like the board game pandemic, like I love it, but it's not. I, I don't even know what you'd call it because it's like cooperative. So I don't even think you could call it a competition. Um, so a sport has physicality. It's got um, and physicality does not need to be. Um, like I always say, I still think esports is sports. Um, the the physicality is less so, but there's dexterity. So I think dexterity matters. To me, the physicality of the chess 
is not relevant to the chess. So in other words, the fact that they move pieces doesn't matter. The fact that they lose weight uh, doesn't matter. Because like, if you pass out, do you lose also? Um, I I don't I don't think so. Uh, I I guess if you don't wake up in time, you'll you'll flag <laughs> out, which is um what's what it's called when you run out of time on the clock. Um, Fair. so you could lose if no one decides to poke you um in time. But I, I I guess my whole thing is like if you could do like if you could make the same decisions, but like a robot moves it for you, then like it's the same. So to me, it's not a sport. Um, but you know, I, I don't think there's anything else where you are purely making the decisions. The, the the physical element is a byproduct. It's like caddying. You know, I I think golf is a sport clearly, but caddying is not. Like there has to be a caddy that carries, and there's physical elements to it. But that's not a competition. Someone... Caddying is not a competition. I know, the even though there's a caddy that wins. wins. <laughs> I know, but my point is like the physicality is a byproduct okay of golf and i think chess is like the physicality element is a byproduct of the competition um yeah and even esports like it took me a while to like i do think there's it's a sport i just i don't know i'm i'm personally not a big esports fan i know that's probably just i i probably should be more open to it considering there's no no real sports going on now that you know, I'm sure there's lots of esports going on. So if I really needed to fill the day, but hot take here, um, I am not missing sports as much as I thought I would. Uh, neither am I. And to I'm be a, honest. And I'm a huge sport. Like I am a massive sports fan. I'm literally, like, I have tons of jerseys. I play fantasy football, fantasy baseball, fantasy hockey. I I obsess over it. When it's on, I'm watching it all the time. I read articles on it, and yet. Without it, I go, you know what? I got a lot of extra time, and I, I, I... Listen, I do miss it. I do miss it. But I miss it more in the fact that, like, there's some days where I go, ah, you know what, Aaron, what do you want to watch on TV? And I kind of just wish I could be like, well, the Raptors are on. Yeah. It's like, I'm... it's an easy decision because I, I, my identity is I'm a sports fan. So if there's sports on, I will watch it. So it makes my decision easy. Um, I'm, I'm going to say of, of the sports, I'm not missing sports a ton, but the sports that I am missing the most is it's definitely basketball is what I'm missing the most right now. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's, I, the, it's partly the Raptors were going to, Raptors were going to make the playoffs. They were one of the best teams in the East. They had a, a, a solid chance of going to the finals to defend, defend okay, their so championship. And that was just that's I've, why I'm not that. I I was interested. I like I'm missing a potential finals, but like the end of the NBA season is the worst. I honestly, I'm a huge basketball fan. There's but too I many. Only the season's too long. There's way too many games. It's, uh, what percentage of the season is considered wasted games? In um, according to this... some stat I read, I remember. It do you, said, do you want like, to explain in... what that means? Sure, they, uh, I'll give the the Cliff Notes version. They tried to say what at what point is half the the your record half the result of skill and half the result of luck. So after one game, you know, in baseball, 
you have a 0% winning record. Okay, that could be a little bit skill. You might be a shitty team, but it's also probably a lot luck. Okay, and that, or randomness, I guess you could say. So on a large enough sample, your skill will dictate the majority of your thing. So they said, what at what point is it 50-50? And they found, for most sports, it was like two-thirds or other way through the season. And it was like two-thirds of the way through the baseball season, which is 162 games, is the full season. So two-thirds of that. Uh, uh, hockey was two-thirds of 82. Football is about two-thirds of 16 games, which is, again, how long that season. And then for basketball, which is also 82 games, instead of being two-thirds, it was like 10%. It was like after eight games, 50%. It's like so much of the season is wasted. So it's it, you yeah. can't say exactly how much is wasted, but like if you played a 20-game season, you would be pretty sure that the teams that are like the top four seeds are actually the best. Or, or more accurately, I guess, there's like a 90% chance that one of the teams that made the playoffs after a 20-game season, probably the top four seeds, though, would be the eventual champion. Like it's it's not even just the playoffs because even once with the playoffs with basketball, the eighth seed never wins. The seventh seed never wins. The sixth seed never wins. The fifth seed never wins. It's like the fourth seed barely ever wins. It's really like the top two seeds. So you have this long season that's useless to get to the playoffs where the first two rounds are useless. And then you finally like basketball only gets entertaining near the end. And because they have a best of seven you're even more certain that the better team is really the better team, and so it gives the better team the edge. So it's, there's, there's not as many surprises. There's not as many upsets. I Again, I find it en- entertaining the finals and when the Raptors are playing. But beyond that, like, I'm not a big basketball. I, I like basketball highlights, um, and I like a lot of it, but, like, I, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a fan of the NBA. I guess like I'm not going to just I think they need to change some things I'm I'm really like and this especially with this going on I'm thinking like man it feels like we've been quarantined forever and yet I feel like we'd only be in like the second round of the playoffs at this point and I'm like oh my god and now they're talking about I actually think it could be good they're talking about like oh if we do come back for the playoffs we, we need to adjust it and make it like much smaller so maybe we'll do a best of one or best of three and maybe we'll cut off cut only the top four seeds in each best of one or whatever no, that would be awful i've heard listen i've heard different ideas well I okay think about that. this so you hate march madness i think a lot of march madness is i i i wouldn't want it for for anything that i really cared about okay so in my opinion the best of one makes the most sense in the first round because like the eight to one seed and the two to seven seed, like do you really are... want the number one seed getting knocked out if they have an unlucky day but like you know what i do think they they still deserve to like if you lose you lose it's like oh well like again i guess my my whole logic is what is the goal of of awarding a champion at the end of the year is the goal to make sure that we've given it to the truly best team because a lot of people say if that's really the like what the what you're supposed to be doing just give it to the team with the best record after 82 games because like if you've proven it over 82 games you're probably the best team you know in the playoffs there can be injuries there can be uh, weird matchups you can you know home field advantage all this if you really care about the best I, I don't really care about who's the best I like the storylines I like the um 
like the drama of getting there. And I think the first round is so boring. So I definitely would add some pizzazz. Would best of three probably be better? Yeah. I, but I, I have nothing wrong within the first. I, I think I have I nothing would, wrong within the first round. I, I would, actually I heard I would just the opposite. Stop paying attention I heard, to the NBA if they did best of one. True. I actually heard the weird one I heard. Again, there's been a million rumors, so I'm sure all of them are bullshit. But the one I heard was like best of three for the first round, then one game playoff for round two and three, and then best of three for the finals. I was like, that to me makes no sense. That is, I that mean, is I guess, nonsense. That's garbage. The logic I heard was, oh, well, the best of three to make sure, like you said, the one seed or the two seed doesn't have like an off day. So then once you only have like the one, the two, the three, and the four, or the one, the two, the three and the five or whatever you know maybe there's an upset then you can have a up like a big upset and that i like i think is is silly but you know what i i do think some people would say like don't mess with success i think they need to change i don't know i'm i'm not i don't have any it might issue be, with it the might way be that's my own okay might be my own bubble but like i have a lot of friends that we all like basketball in theory and yet not all of us say like the first two rounds suck and so and none of us watch um the second half of the nba or pay close attention to the second half of the nba season so it's not just me but it definitely could be like the bubble i'm in i also think again i sports is more and more being consumed in different ways you know it's people aren't always watching the games now maybe they're watching the post game highlight or they're following on twitter or they're posting memes or like there's new ways of consuming and i feel like it's changed from a sport to like a cultural element and i I think um basketball's been very good at that but i was even reading a thing that um something like 20 i can't remember what the percentage was some very large percentage of very young people they're the main way they interact with the NBA is not by watching games it's by watching uh like the highlight reels on Snapchat or something which is like just the dunks and the crossovers and the threes and that's like the number one way they get like that they spend more time on that than anything else related this, to this NBA. This sounds like uh the intro to basketball to me. The intro to basketball? Yeah the so. sports are gonna need to change just to pay attention to, to, to get shorter and shorter attention spans where it's just like yeah the, the highlight like we're just trying to make a sport that's literally just a long highlight reel. So it's funny you say that because uh, baseball is now on Netflix and Aaron and I just added it to the list and we're like we gotta watch this soon so I, 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 love I thought the beginning I remember is like one day I'm gonna be a sports star and then he's drunk he's like one day I'm gonna own a sports bar. I don't remember it Oh, yes, and then they're doing the dance, and everyone's... Yes, I do remember yeah. what it's talking about now. Yeah, yeah. where they I combine mean, football and baseball guys trying to catch a, a fly ball in the outfield, and he gets tackled. <laughs> yeah, and I, listen, I don't want to say they're right, because they're not right, but they're not wrong, and I do think that they are pretty bright guys, and obviously they're making fun of it, because, again, it's not to that extreme, but, you know, there's no doubt that, you know... I. I'll use an example. The XFL. I didn't think it was going to go over very well. I thought it was going to be a failure, but I thought it was a perfect experiment because I think there's so many things that in the NFL that I think rules that don't make sense. And again, the whole thing of the NFL is it's a it's purely supposed to be a viewing experience. It's entertainment purely. And there's so many things I think aren't that entertaining. So the XFL said, let's change this rule that makes the sport more boring or drags on. 
and let's try something different. Now, do I think they all their ideas were right? No. I think a lot of their ideas were dumb. She but, no like, rule. I, I appreciate their efforts, but I thought some of their things were cool. I thought, okay, so, like, I don't think anyone likes kickoffs. draining the... Cl- what, wait, kickoffs? Okay, so we can talk about kickoffs. That's I was all gonna I want to talk kill- about. Okay, well, we'll get to that in a second. I was going to say killing the clock. I don't think anyone likes, oh, we keep killing the clock and killing the clock. It's like you're watching people, like, literally milk clock. Like, that's not fun for anyone. So their whole thing was uh, the clock never stops until the last two minutes in which it stops all the time in the last two minutes, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, again... It makes the game go a lot quicker, and then when it's at the end of the game, you don't have all these situations where someone's running for one yard, and then timeout, and then it's you know you're waiting five minutes for twenty seconds of game clock. Um, so I thought that was interesting. We'll talk about kickoffs. So kickoffs are extremely boring because one, they're touchbacks most of the time. Two, when they're not touchbacks, they're almost always between the twenty and the thirty. The touchback now goes to the twenty-five. So you basically gain no uh, effort. If you do, it's very rare for them to get them, pin them deep in their end zone. Very tough. Uh, it's more likely that you're going to get a long penalty by kicking it out of bounds, so you go to the 40. And then you almost never see a long touchdown. And even when you do see a long touchdown, it's generally just blocking. And the negatives are it's the most likely play in the NFL to have... A injury and a concussion injury, and it's not really like the rest of the sport. In every other element, like the teams line up right across from each other in the trenches, and here they're lining up at opposite ends and they're running full speed into each other, which is why they're such uh, likely to be an injury. And again, like the you see the punter like who really cares about the punter or the kicker that much these are the like you yes it's interesting to see the fast guys but the punter's legs are so strong now that they go out of bounds so often so you know obviously we've both seen the video by uh, john boys chart party um, i believe it's called kickoffs are stupid and bad yeah and we both agree that like something should be done whether we've heard ideas of you know make it a fourth and ten um, that way you punt, which is, again, more natural. It's also more likely to result in big plays because both t- and, and fewer injuries because both. So after a touchdown, you'd have a punt from 4th and 10. Or if you don't want to go 4th and 10, you can actually go for it, and then you actually use your offense as opposed to the squib kick, which, again, is a ridiculous idea, which is sorry, the onside, which is you kick it so poorly that... You hope that a miracle happens. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's so unlikely. The surprise onside is actually somewhat likely but the actual onside is so unlikely so it would make teams comebacks more likely like this new idea of like fourth and ten because then you can throw for it if you have a good offense so it makes comebacks more likely it makes football there actually makes more football played because you actually have your offense out there or like an actual punt it makes long exciting plays more possible it makes injuries less likely and it makes touchbacks less less common like it's it checks every box to me. It so just seems I, a no-brainer. Yeah. But then there were other dumb ideas. I thought the XFL, I think they had one which was like punting, which was it's similar to the CFL. In the CFL, you can't be within – there's no fair catch, but you have to give them space. Um, and it was like that, but like to the extreme degree where it's like you couldn't cross the line of scrimmage until the guy – I don't remember what it was, like caught the ball or something – 
and so the guy's got so much uh, so much of a full head of steam the point was like we want to see the ball and the most dynamic people so we want to see more punt returns and i was like i get that but like i thought it was a little overpowered <clears throat> and you couldn't even kick it out of bounds if you kick it out of bounds it's like a huge penalty so there's no coffin corner kick now again maybe i'm just so used to the nfl that like maybe that is the right move because maybe punting is boring and maybe like the whole goal is like we want as little punting as possible you want as much exciting action as possible i get that and i'm kind of down for it but i also think like part of the game there are boring elements to every game like we're not gonna be like you know what else we should do we should get rid of blocking because blocking's boring like where does it stop you know you do need some uh, boring elements like free throws are not the most exciting in the NBA. Oh, let's replace them with a dunk contest. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense. Uh, some things are just, I think, you can't jazz up every part. But I think the goal should be to minimize the bad, maximize the good. Okay, here's an idea. Speaking of uh, free throws, I think I've said this before. I person, and actually, I think we both mentioned it when we talked about three pointers. I hate the three point foul. Worst, worst thing in the NBA. Like, it's it's literally statistically it's worth more than an open dunk. If you're a 75% free throw shooter, which is like average, and you get three free throws, it's literally worth more expected points than a wide open dunk. We Agreed? have spoken it's about stupid. this, and I, I don't really see it as a huge issue. Okay. I still think I would like to see like college rules, which is one plus so if you make the first one you get a second one if you don't get the first one free ball anyone can get the offense rebound it's not the biggest issue but i would like to see that change i think it would i also think the reason that it would the reason why you don't want that in the nba is because i think otherwise there'd be too much hack-a-shack if that was true of every free throw because then you'd just be like why wouldn't we foul Andre Drummond or something like you know it, it it lowers the expected points of any bad free throw shooter sending them to the line so that's why I think a three pointer you're not taking a three unless you're probably a decent shooter you know Shaq's not taking threes yeah but it probably reduces for a, a portion of the NBA it reduces the value of getting fouled from the three pointer compared to like from 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 just I thought you'd love this idea, honestly, because I literally, it. I'm gonna be honest. I can't believe that because literally the only like it literally would affect almost no team except the Rockets. <laughs> it literally would just affect James Harden. Like they did a study, and I think it was two years ago. Like James Harden by himself had more three-point foul plays than like the bottom five teams combined or something like that like it's literally just a james harden thing and so i can't believe you who i think if i'm not mistaken you despise the way james harden plays i don't like the way he plays but i don't like the idea of just changing the rules because like I, I don't like that guy let's uh he's found success i don't like the way that he's doing it let's just you know change the rules because 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 of him don't like him let's change the rules Screw okay, so I don't like when that. do you? Well, okay, so I'll ask you this: At one point, you used to be able to stand in the key forever, and, and then, then we eventually said, "Hey, you know what? This guy does." Will Chamberlain is, changed it? Yes, is is just too. He's using this move over and over again. It's not fair. It's boring. We need to make the game more entertaining, so we are going to change this rule. Tell me how it's different. I I'm not saying I approve of that change. You're. 
sorry, let's back up. You don't think the three in the key rule move was good, a good rule? I I think that the way that Singleton around, I don't think it was... I don't like the way that they chose to put the rule in place, but now that the rule is in place, I do like that rule. I'm just saying I don't like the way that they instituted it. This is... Okay. This, so, so what I'm hearing is... is I you don't, don't like this rule because of how I'm implementing it, but once you separate it from that idea, you think it might be actually a good rule. For your rule, no. For the three and the key rule, I like the rule, but I don't like the way it was instituted. That's so... I don't think it matters how you get to it. The, the goal of the league should be to, again, stay ahead of the curve, make sure the product is... Uh, entertaining when something becomes overpowering and again you are the I think this issue is only going to become more and more uh, prevalent as then change it then once it becomes more a more league-wide threes. thing rather than one guy because let, let's, let's say why be reactionary why not be proactive you're you are being reactionary here you're saying yeah I don't like the way that this guy is doing stuff I'm reacting to him you're still no, reactionary. Being proactive I'm saying I think it's only going to get worse I, 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 to me, it's like, okay, we're instituting this rule change because we think it will make things more entertaining by get ridding the, getting rid of the way that this guy is doing this and is having success. In, 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 in my mind, that's like, okay, uh, this guy's making the league boring. Let's um, just kick him out of the league because we don't like him. No, it's not that. It's, that's, that's crazy. It's, this rule is making the league more boring, so let's change this rule. We're not kicking him out. He can play. Why do we have to let him spam a rule? Okay, I'll say this. This is one thing I think esports does very well because unlike basketball where we say, oh, we've had traditions. We can't just change the sport. It it would be crazy. E-sports, I'm not against changing the rules. I'm against changing the rules specifically because of one person. Fine. Esports nerf and buff characters all the, all time. the time. Love that. And I think it's good because I do too because I think it keeps the game in balance and when they see something's getting out of whack they change something. I think every other sports league is not. I'll give you an example. I was just speaking to Puppy the other day. Obviously I said how are you missing baseball? Blah blah. We are talking. He said oh I hear if they come back they, they're thinking about some I mean again everyone's just spouting rumors but like that it might be seven innings. I said I wouldn't be against that. Now listen. I love baseball. I love baseball the way it is. But I think the games have gotten really long and not that much action has happened. I've heard some ideas of how to change it. Oh, let's start extra innings with a man on second. I personally don't like that idea. I think a better idea is just shorten the game. I love that idea. What are you talking about? That's an amazing idea. You like the man on second? Yeah. Oh, it's so arbitrary. It's once you get into extras, we're trying to find a way to accelerate the game and get more action into it because we're, we're not trying to have 15, you know, six more innings with not a lot happening. You start with a man on second. You each get the same setup. And for, I like that. It's it's like three on three in, in hockey for overtime to me. Except three on three for hockey actually, like, I, I actually do like three on three for hockey. I, I'm actually a big fan. My biggest problem with it is that they don't keep the rules consistent. It's only during the regular season. During the playoffs, doesn't it go back to five on five in overtime? Yeah, and I would be okay with in the playoffs. They went back to not a man on second for, for extra innings. See, and I think that's insane. Why do like why would you have rules that only apply during some like some part of the season? There's ties in the NFL during the regular season, but not during the postseason. But that that's not really a rule. That's like we just don't end. 
<laughs> that's, that, the, that's a rule about how to deal with it when there is no person in okay. the lead at the end of regulation. You're it's, changing the rules Michael, based off what not, overtime is. They're, they're not the same. It's like saying that uh, you know the kickoff goes to the 45 instead of the 35, but only in the regular season. That's more apt than a tie. And it's obvious why a tie can't exist in the playoffs. In fact, you could say it does exist. It, the rule is if a tie happens... Like, we still have ties, but then if a tie happens, you just play another sudden death. Yeah, that's... But again, would you... Like, ties are infeasible in the playoffs. These other rules are not... They they could... You could do three-on-three in the playoffs. You cannot have a tie in the playoffs. Well, there's no Stanley Cup award winner this year. Come back next year to see if someone gets awarded to win the Cup. Yeah, I agree, but I'm just saying that you can set up different rules for those two situations, and and I'm okay with that. I'm not. I hate it. uh, I think... I'm so... You need to play the same rules regular season and playoffs. Are you okay with a, a hockey playoff game ending in a shootout? No, but I also okay, am not so okay with the regular season. Hold on, the playoffs you can have different ways of Mike, ending the game. No, because you didn't let me finish. I'm also not okay with it ending a regular season game. Okay, um, I, I I just I just think that. I so th- what, okay. you think it should just go on an infinite number of periods? Okay, come on, let's be realistic. If you kept if you play three on three, what first of all has three on three significantly reduced the number of shootouts that that teams it has, that go to shootouts? But I'm just saying, in theory, okay. should it just go on? Well, that's what happens in the playoffs. Yes, it should, because, like, the odds that it's going to go 20, like, it's infinitesimally small that it's going to go beyond two or three periods if you're three on three the whole time. So just let it happen. Who cares? In fact, it's like magic. You get to say, oh, my God. It's like those uh, baseball games where, um, you know, they go to 18 innings. Could it happen? Sure. They very rarely happen. But when they do happen, people actually kind of, it's kind of like uh, something special because it so rarely happens, you know? I remember going to an 18-inning game with Aaron. I believe it was Canada Day, and we had to leave in the 17th inning. I left and we in lost the, the 18th. I, was, I, I went to an 18-inning game, and I left after 15. But I have a really, really good excuse. Uh, I was, was there with um, – I went to a summer camp, and they brought Israelis over. And this was their first-ever baseball game. And 15 innings is the most that I have, I have found that I think 13 innings was actually the most they were willing to tolerate. But I was just so amped about the idea of being at a super long baseball game yeah. that I got them to stay for 15. Uh, I, I think I dropped them off at home by the time the 18 innings were, were done. It was. Yeah. I, I don't think you're ever going to another baseball game, too. This is how much. So this is like I literally remember going, getting in the car, turning on the radio and hearing like, um, oh, my God, what's his name? Ryan Goins is pitching now, and he pitched, and he struck out a guy, and then he let up a home run, a solo homer to Carlos Santana or something, and that was how we lost. So it was to the Indians at the time, the Cleveland Indians. So yeah. It's like I remember that game because it was special because it was 18 innings. I've been to a lot of baseball games, a lot. There's not many that I remember going. I remember like the – I probably remember like seven. I remember Josh Donaldson – hitting a walk-off homer at the end of his MVP season. I remember Edwin Encarnacion walking off the Orioles. I, was I remember that. that game. That was great. I remember um, I was at one against the Marlins, and I was with Uncle Steve, and Edwin hit a walk-off to center field, and we were standing in the fly. What's it called? The West Jet 
the Rogers Rogers thing in center field. Whatever the standing yeah, room only. at the time it was called the West the WestJet flight zone or whatever. Yeah, yeah and he hit deck. one. Yeah, flight deck. It was literally like hit straight to center, just right to us. Now obviously it was is below us because we were pretty high up, but like right at us. And they had Yelich at the time too, and I remember seeing Yelich like run. At like start running and then just see it and like give up and go like we won it was great I remember um, I was at I, was, I think it might have been Troy Tulowitzki's either first or second game with us and he hit a, a home run in that game I remember just being like this team is gonna go it's, it's gonna make things happen complaints and grievances by the way that section one. was supposed to be the quick hit section and it's been um, over an hour I would say yeah but at the same time so not and like, none of those I, individual topics was quick. No, none of them were. But at the same time, this whole podcast is called Just Talking, and I do like the um, format we've laid out. But at the same time, sometimes I feel like it's too rigid. Sometimes I feel like I just want to talk. Our first podcast was magical, the one that like the, the hidden episode because we just talked for four hours and we would randomly switch. And I kind of liked it. I kind of loved the fact that it was just random as fuck. And we just said, this is what popped in my brain. Let's talk about that. And then a funny joke would pop up and we'd we'd go on a side tangent. I think we need more structure. But I also think that we need to find the balance between, like, the structure. Like, I've said this before. I like to be spontaneous within a box. So I like to set broad parameters and then just be able to have the freedom to move around. Now, obviously, this one's more freedom but um, than previous episodes, but obviously this one's been a, a little tangent, a little tangenty. Yeah. Um, so complaints we can edit grievances. it down. Yeah, uh, we can edit it. Um, complaints and grievances. I've got two. Do you have any? I got none. All right. I, Life's I guess good. I'm go- I'm gonna do both. Uh, one of these relates to to last week's complaint, which was uh, Julia Roberts was in a movie called My Best Friend's Wedding, and I was talking about how she was America's sweetheart, but in that movie, she's just an awful, terrible human being. I looked up more information about Julia Roberts. She is just like that character in My Best Friend's Wedding. She is actually not a good human being. Just bad. Just not a good person. I have no clue how she was America's sweetheart. She must have the greatest publicist on the planet. Uh, she left her her uh, her husband to be at the altar for his best man and ran away with with him. She left Kiefer Sutherland at the altar like the day of with with the best man. And like ran away to Scotland to like have an affair for a couple months. And then later when that bombed out and didn't work obviously um she later broke up another marriage like her current husband was married at the time that like she started having an affair with him she's just just seems like a bad person this is gonna be your hill to die on i have no comments about julia roberts if if you get disappeared we'll know that her publicist is more powerful i'm saying her publicist must she she should be the highest paid publicist in hollywood i think that this this person is is doing a great job i think you're missing two things one she's beautiful and people love beautiful people period doesn't matter we love beautiful beautiful people. people hold on i know two before wikipedia how would you know any of this unless you're reading the gossip magazines those gossip magazines were really powerful at the time. I don't know. They like, were, but but they most were, people. Like, this the, is at the same time. Meg Ryan's career was pretty derailed by the fact that she left Dennis Quaid for Russell Crowe on the on the set of Proof of Life, destroyed that movie, and Meg Ryan was not really successful after the year two thousand. I think that was like but, 
But Can here's you remember my question. Her, what? Uh, any movies she's made after the year 2000? No, but so here's my question. So, yeah, so what movies has she made since then? Uh, like In the Cut, which was, was a, ba- a okay. bad movie. So in other words, I don't, she hasn't I don't know been what else a, she made. So here, here's my argument. Meg Ryan's career was derailed because she was no longer in good movies. Now, maybe she was in no longer in good movies because her affair ruined a movie, and then producer said, I don't want to put her in my movie because what if she ruins my movie? Meanwhile, Julia Roberts' affair didn't affect anyone's movie, and the movies kept performing, so people said, let's keep putting her in movies. So in other words, everyone was just self-interested. You know what I mean? Like, Meg Ryan, it's not the affair that killed it. It's the fact that, it, that she hurt a movie's production. No, it didn't affect the production. It just affected the box office because all of the gossip magazines Sorry, the got box, about it. That's why I mean. destroyed the, the movie. And the box office. I, mean. I don't get why did people give Julia Roberts the pass, but not Meg Ryan. Eh, I don't know. So my, my my thinking is one. I think Julia Roberts is was always infinitely more. Like I also think that fairly or not, I'm not saying whether this is right or wrong. I think people that have like they people let stars real stars get away with more than people who are marginal contributors. Meg Ryan's star was never as bright as Julia Roberts. Mm, so Meg Ryan was in some pretty huge movies. But ha- I don't When Harry rem- Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Me. I think These she was like some of the biggest rom-coms in the history of correct, film. Correct. Correct. Huge rom-coms. movies, if I remember. I agree, but you got to remember, as a, in a rom-com... The person is not the star. The couple is the star. So I think her, she was like, unlike Julia Roberts, who actually had like solo acts where she was the star. Aaron Brockovich, she is the old, like who else is in that who's a major actor or actress? Albert Finney, who I believe was actually nominated for an Oscar for his role in that movie. Oh, okay. Okay. Say that name again. How Albert many Finney? people do you think, yeah, how many people do you think know who that is? If they, Okay. You're right. Probably fewer people do know, but they really should know. I, he was I'm not really saying amazing. He was I'm not saying he, he's not a good. I'm not saying he's not a good actor, but he's a marginal contributor. If he had some, he he cannot get away with the same shit as as Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts was a star. Meg Ryan was, uh, you know, a a a a, 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 a major. I I hate the word role player because role player makes it seem like you aren't a, a big deal, but like. You played a role and you did it very well. She was typecast in rom-coms. Rom-coms, unfortunately, I don't think you ever get like it's Katherine Heigl's like syndrome, where like Katherine Heigl's been in some huge rom-coms. I don't think anyone thinks she's a star. Also, just quick, quick note: you're ta- I, I'm, I'm gonna. This might be this might be a hot take, but Aaron Brockovich to me is a Soderbergh movie, not a Julia Roberts movie. Okay. That was also you're, you're the, a huge year for Steven Soderbergh. He had Traffic and Aaron Brockovich in the same year. Both, I think, you're going to be the only person that best picture. You're the only person who thinks that. Okay, no. Steven Soderbergh no. is is okay. No, no, I'm not saying he's not a great. Uh, uh, listen, he's well known, but people know actors and actresses way more than directors, writers, and producers. Fact, just fact. And so there's lots of movies, even Christopher Nolan who I love, if you ask people about The Dark Knight, do people say, oh, it's a Christopher Nolan movie? People like you and me maybe, film buffs, would probably say, oh, that's a Christopher Nolan movie. Most people, the first thing they think of is it's a Batman movie or it's a, uh, you know, they're going to think of Heath Ledger. They're going to think of 
so many people associated with it before Chris Ronaldo. Maybe he's three or four. Um, you know, Tarantino and Scorsese are maybe the only like, and I do think the cult of directors has has become stronger. Actually, let's go side tangent for a second. Okay, I've see I've noticed these two things happen together, and I want to get your fact thoughts if there's some common theme behind them or if it's I'm just pulling shit out of my ass. So I think people used to be all about the star player. They knew the player. And Nats slowly ensembles you're going to say we've I think we did No, this I was going to say now we know podcast. more about the the team that put it to, to put it together. Like in Toronto, like Kawhi obviously had the huge shot, but people talk about like Messiah Jerry is like the god of like he put the team together. You know what I mean? People still love Kyle Lowry, but like Messiah is probably like number two beside him, right? In like prominent, and I find it's similar with a movie where it used to be all about the actors and actresses, and now we talk about um, star directors and star writers and star producers, and I want it like, am I just pulling strings is is that incorrect or do you really think that the rise of those two has been in tandem and there's something common that people are now seeing that it's it's what's behind the scenes that's just as important as the people playing the role in front of um i i i I don't know i think for for movie people the director that's what i'm saying today for movie people directors are important it used to be that for movie people directors were important i think that it's just that maybe there's more movie people and as it goes for the like the GM thing, I have no clue. I really don't. I wasn't. I don't. I, mean, I don't. I, I don't have enough information so on that one. This? But I th- I think that for the, the the movie thing, I think it's it's been consistent that the movie like for movie people, directors and 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 writers and, and the creative forces behind it have been. You really, really think important. there's been the same level of power and name recognition and cult like and, and cultural capital directors had back in the day as they do today like today i can think of like people the way i think of it is people used to go to the movie because of an actor actress like someone had drawing power oh my god this has denzel washington this has george clooney people would come and i've actually read stats that say like the drawing power of individual actors has significantly reduced in the last 15 to 10 years that like which is why you see more ensemble cast because like an individual actor is not the same draw as it used to be. So you need more star power just to ha- like move the needle a little. But I found that the one needle that still gets moved is a director. So like, um. Scor- and I, I am thinking like Scorsese, Tarantino, the Coen brothers, Spike Lee joints. Like I do find there's uh, David Fincher. There are some directors that like I, Christopher Nolan. I will see anything that Christopher Nolan does. Doesn't matter who's in it. Yep. I, I, I will season see tickets on Nolan. There you go. I will see anything Tarantino does. Absolutely. I just rewatched Hateful uh, Eight, by the way. I will check out I will check out anything the Coen brothers do, personally. I, 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 I will not. I will I'm, watch it. I'm, I said I'll I'm check a, it out. I'm a wait and see on the Coen brothers. Okay, I'm a check I'm a check it out. In other words, I'll check the trailer, I'll check I, I I'm interested. I'm not saying I'm gonna go rush out and see it, but I, I'm I'm interested. And I find I'm trying to think like start directors back in the day, like I can think of Oh, there's only one that's really coming to mind. Uh, you know what? I guess back in the day, it depends how long. So, like, there's, like, Hitchcock to me was, like, the first star director that I can think of. But you you know more about film history. Yeah. And I, then there, I there see, were guys who were 
people would go but to like, see like Ernest Lubitsch. Whatever. Yeah. It, that's, that's going my point. way back. Would people know the director or like, cause I actually don't know. Maybe they um, would, but like my understanding was that people like, I, who did Casablanca? I have no fucking idea. Uh, Michael Curtis. Okay. <laughs> I knew you would know. You are yeah, basically he's, Wikipedia he's, he, for He film. also did some other, uh, he also did um, Adventures of Robin Hood actually was also his, which was really okay. good. But I'm saying like most people think Fantastic of that as like score. a Humphrey Bogart movie, right? Yeah. Okay. It's also the, when there was, when the studios really owned people, things were made differently. Things were assembled differently where there was less, you know, okay, I'm the director. I get to have creative control. I get to do this. Michael Curtis also, the guy who made Casablanca, I think he directed over his career, like, I think approaching triple digit number of films because he belonged to a studio and they're like, we're throwing you at 50 projects sort of thing. So it, it was harder for someone to be like, I'm establishing this where I can take my time and think. And Hitchcock was able to do that. Very few guys were able to do that at that time just because right. the Hollywood the system next? was... You know, in my des- mind, it's like designed. it goes. There's a gap, and then it's like Steven Spielberg. But again, I'm not as well versed in like um, the history of Hollywood and filmography and c- cine- cinephiles. Like I'm, I'm not as well versed in like all of the depth of knowledge of who came first and the history and who the great directors were. But like to me, it seems like Hitchcock was the one that like planted his like this is a Hitchcock film and so people came because it was a Hitchcock film then there seems to be a gap and then maybe like Spielberg was like the next where it was like more than the stars on the screen it mattered who was behind um what are your thoughts uh, there, there were other guys but yeah Spielberg uh, I mean there were guys like Francis Ford Coppola who people people anything Francis Ford Coppola made he uh, like they would go see like, I don't think Apocalypse Now was sold on um, uh, Martin Sheen. That was sold on... Francis Ford Coppola went into the jungle, lost his mind, um, and Was that his this first movie. film or first major film? No, that was that was his last good film, actually. Okay, so what did he done before that? Uh, both Godfathers, The Conversation. Um, he I had it in the exact uh, opposite order. I thought it was literally like the exact opposite order. Oh, well. No, no. That for Francis Ford Coppola, he, he went into the jungle to make Apocalypse Now at the end of, like, his, his 1970s is, I think, incredible. It's just so, it's so wild how good he was. He wrote the screenplay for Patton, which I believe he won the Oscar for writing the screenplay, but he didn't direct that one. Um, then he, next year, he directed The Godfather. Um amazing movie then 74 he does godfather part two and the conversation and godfather two beats the conversation for best picture but if godfather two hadn't been released that year conversation might have won like if those two weren't up against each other he might have won for both of them um then goes into the jungle loses his mind uh just completely bonkers situation makes apocalypse now um is completely spent um Oh, sorry, I like is... how you say a, a Sheen film. I, like to me, still the star name there is Marlon Brando, even though he's yeah. not in it for that much. But like, I feel he's so like... good as Kurtz. He's yeah. just. What, and was that movie even like? Was it a commercial hit? Like, I know that people think of it as like. I actually um... don't know. This is. Weird. I think it was actually pretty successful. Um, okay. Because because after there that, movies... he got money to make a huge budget movie that um, completely bombed and kind of killed the the. 70 Hollywood system. It's actually two oh, movies I forgot that to did mention it. It's the guy Kubrick. who made um, 
So the guy who made Deer Hunter also made a terribly expensive movie that bombed so much that it bankrupted a studio. I think they both bankrupted studios with their move with their movies after their yeah. Vietnam movies. I forgot about Kubrick as well. So he was another star that like oh, made Kubrick. a movie. So, yeah. but again, so I wonder how much was like, I actually think Kubrick, like, I remember like films seemed to be branded as like, I guess Francis Ford Coppola too, but I wonder how much is like uh, post hoc, like after the fact we think no. of it as opposed to like in the moment. Like The Shining you know was I mean? advertised as Kubrick. Like that's yes. got Jack Nicholson from who the, was and, yeah, Jack and Nicholson like the, and it was advertised as Kubrick. Well, I also feel like things went like from the mind of Stanley Kubrick, like things would like it's from him. And so he was like the seal of approval, I guess, yeah. like his brand. Um yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I found that, like, I know that it's true. It seems to be more true now, today, with um, with movies for sure. And I know there's something going on, too, with sports. But I don't know if they're actually the same or they just happen to be, like, kind of... Um, you want my opinion like, on the sports one? Actually, I've got one. Yeah, now. sure. I think I'd it's like um, sports games where you people were playing Madden, where they were the GM of the team, or they were playing 2K and they were the GM of the team, and they play a season. And being a GM of the team is essentially your job. And over the course of that, people got into the idea of GMs. I agree. I, I mean, I definitely think that, like, you know, I think for one, like, lots of people said, you know what, I have no chance of ever making it, but I could probably be in the and I. Like again, I'm just gonna throw this game at. Yeah, I could make these trades exactly. So everyone's and fantasy sports, I think, also has done the same kind of thing, where everyone thinks they're now the 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 armchair quarterback and the the, the GM and all that. I can I again, I'm just gonna point them out. I like him, but like Mark Cuban too. I think he made like being he's an, an owner. owner he's an owner, but he's like a pretty hands-on owner, and I think he like it made it seem like yo if you get if you become a billionaire just make a shit ton of money and you can like you can own a team too and just like play play the role and then some people said oh well you know like my best chance of playing the role is is not maybe that one's less so but like like i i also feel like we know owners more now and before like i don't know who like owned the team and like i don't think it was relevant you know all right um so I'm going to move on. What to was my your second, second complaint? That's what I was going to move on, um, which was this is going to be really it's been a while since I watched it now because um, watch it shortly after we record the other podcast. But I watched uh, La La Land and yeah. I'm going to say that movie is atrocious. OK, we're OK. We got a debate here. Ding, 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 ding. I watched it, too, and I disagree. Uh, this is the first thing I'm going to say. After watching that, like a, about two weeks after, I rewatched Crazy Stupid Love with Rachel because I Great love movie. that movie. That yeah. movie, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, fantastic chemistry. Buy it from second one. I watched La La Land and I just don't... I, how is it that these two people who have so much chemistry in this other movie just feel just like I, I don't buy a second of it together in this movie at all? So, so let me give my two cents on La La Land. So you said awful, atrocious movie. If you ask me, Josh, do you think it should have been movie of the year? I say no. Josh, do you think it should have been? Yeah, you're right. It, it we almost, thought it was it, for a second. <laughs> yes. I also don't know if Moonlight should have been either. But uh, uh, I have taken that. Yeah. I, I mean, I like Moonlight. I think it's a better movie than La La Land, but like, I don't think either should have won. Um, should La La Land have been nominated for best movie? No, I don't think so. Agreed. Is it a good movie? I think it's okay. I think it's pretty good. I think it's, I think, honestly, I think 
I started out hating it. That first song, I fucking hated. I hated, hated, hated. Um, really, the once I, I only started liking it when the Ryan Gosling character introduced the jazz, because I think it's like, it's an ode to jazz and old Hollywood. And I thought the jazz, I'll call it the jazz storyline, was more compelling than the Hollywood one, for me at least. Um, so I, I liked, and I did like, more the jazzy songs i thought his piano solo when he's um like do he's in the restaurant i like that i like the song with um john legend i liked the final song a lot like all my favorite songs are all the jazz songs and the ryan gossing songs and i was not as much a fan of the emma stone storyline um and again i thought it was an up and down movie i thought the first third i'd give like a three out of ten maybe like first first quarter like two out of ten next quarter like five out of ten then then seven or eight and then like eight for the end i, I actually really like the ending um so like i thought it got progressively better but i think it's an extremely flawed movie extremely flawed and so i completely understand how you don't like it and I, i'm pretty sure last time didn't you say you didn't even make it all the way through like you started watching it um, no, no, we watched it all the way through, but Rachel, um, yeah. I think we watched it all the way through in one sitting, but, um, maybe we didn't, but Rachel I, is, I'm pretty um, sure you said last time, oh, I only watched the first and then we quit cause it was so bad. And I was like, yeah, you gotta get through it. I like, I agree with you that like the first be- the beginning I think sucks. Um, no, actually, the last time that we were talking, the last podcast, the thing that uh, I hadn't finished watching was my best friend's wedding. I had 10 minutes left, and I said I thought pretty much everything that was of narrative heft was was um, was done. And I was right. Like At, at that point, I know I was uh, judging the movie with 10 minutes left, but um, nothing nothing changed my opinion of that movie from that point on. Fair. Um, so how about this? About La La Land, I want to see if I can even move you an inch. Did you like parts of it more than others? I don't even think so. I think that I was just on, on like... I think I was on the verge of quitting the movie so many times. Okay. I mean, I thought there's, again, I, there's a lot I didn't like. I thought, I thought there was a lot of the dance scenes were super fucking cheesy. Uh, like with the back black background and they're dancing through the skies. Thought it looked cheesy. I get it. It's an ode to old school, um, uh, musicals. Wasn't a fan. So again, there was lots I didn't like. I liked the final song and scene. I like John Legend, and I thought Ryan Gosling was great. He actually learned to play the piano. Again, I actually was much more impressed with Yeah, it's all him. Um, I was much more impressed with Ryan Gosling in this than Emma Stone. And again, I like both of them. I want to be upfront. I like them both a lot. I just happen to like his scenes more than hers. I thought the jazz, I thought, was a more interesting take on, like, does jazz need to adapt and change? Or will it die out? Like, how do you keep jazz going? Um, I thought that was, like, relevant. Because, again, I think we both are, like, big fans of music. And actually, we both... I think you're a bigger jazz fan than I am. You can correct yep. me if I'm wrong. Yep. And I think it's a relevant that, uh, a conversation. You know, like, it, is it better to change something to keep it going and, and living? Or is it better to, or do we try to keep it as is? And again, this goes back to like, we're talking about sports, like should sports leagues like keep their tradition and potentially lose fans or should they change and adapt? And I think you want to control the rate of change. You don't want to change too quickly and become, uh, you know, you don't want jazz to suddenly become, I don't know, like, uh, you know, dubstep. 
but you say, okay, how can we use jazz influence and spread beyond that? And I think those are the people that are influential and, and push the boundaries. So I think it is important. So again, I, that's what I got from it. So I like the jazz storyline. The Holly one didn't do anything for me. Yeah. Um, and I believe she won Best Actress for that, which was... Okay, that's... Yeah, yeah that's uh, true. But uh, let, me, let me just, you know, finish my complaint, because um, I've barely started on it. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I'm going to move this along quickly. Um, for, for how I'm pretty sure that it's not just the fact that I hate musicals in general, that I dislike this movie, is that, what do you know about Rachel's opinion of musicals? You she know, likes musicals, and she, she didn't like this She loves one. musicals, and she despised this movie. I know. Vitriolically despised it. Because Again, she I, I she was think... willing to quit it with me as well. And when she okay. was done, she was like, I can't believe that that movie. And she was she was very, very anti La La Land as well. So, I, so that gave that made me feel a lot more secure in my. Yeah, this movie sucks. I'm going to bring up a slightly different movie, but I think that they have similar issues. I think there's sometimes every once in a while there's a movie where I think there's great ideas and scenes but it's cut poorly and I think if you uh, used uh, other scenes or edited it differently that it would have been a better movie I think La La Land's one I still think The Irishman is like one where I thought went from like a what could have been a really good movie to like a very mediocre movie at best like way too long wait need more editing and uh, our next segment is our movie of the week uh, last not last week. I guess this has been a movie of the couple months, but um, movie sorry of the to pandemic. bother you. Movie of the pandemic. Sorry to bother you, uh, which uh, directed by Boots Riley and starring Lakeith Stanfield. Um, Josh, you chose this movie and you had not seen it before. Uh, do you wanna you wanna let us know what you thought felt about it? So just to confirm, you also had not seen it before, right? I had not. I uh, I had already got a copy of it to watch because I'd been really intrigued by it. I had heard about it, but I had not yet watched it, so this was a good excuse to finally watch it, which was uh, good. Uh, so, I mean, pros and cons. Pro- I First of all, I really liked the movie. I really, really liked it. I did. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, so I guess maybe I'll give a quick recap of the movie, just because honestly the biggest negative is not actually about the movie. It's that it was like eight weeks ago, and so like I don't remember it as well as I should. So I'm partly giving the recap for everyone listening, and partly for myself. So you didn't you didn't keep detailed notes? I did not. I I mean I had very rough notes, but like the way I write notes, it's it's shorthand. So the longer the period of time the harder it is to decipher what I meant. So like, oh, what did I mean six weeks ago when I wrote that sentence? I'm like, mm, I don't know. Okay, quick recap. So Lakeith, uh's character's Cassius Green, or Cash Green, lives with his uncle, and he gets a job in telemarketing, and he's black, and a fellow black employee says you have to use your white voice, and once he starts to learn to use his white voice, he starts becoming more successful at selling. Uh, he starts moving up and gaining the glory. He eventually becomes a power caller um, in which he then starts selling more uh, power. I guess he becomes a power broker. So, you know, working with large companies and politicians saying, selling them on ideas of why they should do X or Y. And 
one of do we want to do spoilers or no um i think with this movie there's some things that maybe not spoilers but there's stuff that you can't really not talk about um it's pretty tough to it's okay straight up it's a weird movie but i really liked it extremely Um, weird extremely Uh, weird uh satirical and um what's the uh, surreal definitely a surreal movie surreal comedy i would call it for sure um but he he basically has to sell people on this idea of like i won't say slavery but like he basically sells companies on the idea of slavery there's this company called worry free that gives people like free board and rent and they're like oh you don't have to worry about anything and you just you just work for us and we'll pay your rent and we'll feed you and all that and people start seeing that as like a viable alternative to like real life and it's kind of fucked up and I don't know how much I want to go into the end first of all was also the most confusing so I mean to me the movie was I I know that's like I think it's a movie you gotta watch like I don't know how much that recap agreed it gave me the broad strokes also Glenn from Walking Dead I really like that character Steven Yeun or something like that yeah he was great um, but yeah, I mean, I really liked it. I thought it was funny. I thought it did class satire, like the uh, like making fun of our current economic system. I thought it didn't actually a pretty good way. I think it it didn't beat you over the head with it, but it it showed you the the silliness of it all. The, the when you take capitalism, I guess you'd say to the extreme. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, my, my notes are a little um, scatterbrained, but I'll, I'll talk about some of the stuff that I've made notes on. Um, I, I thought it was very visually inventive and clever. I thought worry-free as slavery or essentially prison by choice. The way when he's on his calls, he essentially falls into the um, whatever situation he's speaking to the other person in. I thought the way they portrayed, you know, when you're moving up, you, you're taking, rather than taking the stairs up, you take this golden elevator all that stuff was really nice i thought it visually presented a and and thematically presented a very heightened version of what a capitalist reality is um and i thought it did some really interesting stuff where it was i it was about what people will subject themselves to for the sake of making a, a, a dollar i mean uh, the allure of a better future causes people to abandon their their principles in order to just you know, get that, that, that money that they think will give them a better life. But I mean, it, at what point is, is, are you complicit in it? Cause he's selling these, when, when he becomes a, a power caller, he starts selling companies on much more harmful things. And I mean, how much is he complicit in the in the evil that he's, yeah. you know, the, the violence that he's selling. And, you know, the idea that that's inherent in capitalism. It's also stuff about, you know, people people will subject themselves to a lot of stuff. There's this show called I Got the Shit Kicked Out of Me. Yes. Where people get paid to be completely brutalized. Um, there's also, you know, people enjoy very sadistic stuff. I mean, not, not so, just enjoy watching that show, but then there's a, a... he At one point, he becomes a meme for, for the fact that he's put into a, 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 a painful injury that becomes a, a giant visual like it becomes a worldwide thing but um so i'm gonna jump so in I quickly stuff. so yeah. the, the what was the name of the show again i got the shit kicked out of me yeah, i thought that was i really liked that um very yeah so first of all like 
there's a direct comparison, which is basically like jackass, which is like people subject themselves to pain, and physical pain and emotional pain so that other people can watch. And, and those guys all became famous, Johnny Knoxville and all those guys from jackass. So I thought that was like a pretty apt comparison, but not just for that in particular, but for like our social media culture where like, you know, eyeballs are the real currency and so people do whatever just to get people's attention uh, because they think they can monetize it somehow you know you see these people doing the tide pod challenges and filming themselves and stupid shit like that uh i really thought that the the, i got the shit kicked out of me i love that i love that part yep um do you remember that line when he's a power caller and who uh, is the other the elder black employee his, it's Don, uh, Danny Glover Donald Glover da- Danny Glover Danny Glover not Donald Glover yeah. Donald Glover Sorry. is childish yeah so do you remember what he says to him about the white voice um, I vaguely remember okay. it I um, actually thought that yeah, was a, because if you don't have like a, a care in the world or something yeah like I thought that line was actually real. I actually really liked it stuck with me I don't remember exactly but yeah it basically was like it's not just sounding white like hi how you know it's, it's, like, it's not yeah it's not, it well it's not just ned flanders he's saying it's like it's not just the sound it's sounding like you you don't have a care in the world everything's good and i thought that was like again there are points where you know they're trying to point out the the differences in again you know this one was a little more uh, obvious like the class between like white middle class and uh, you know minorities trying to you know do whatever they can to catch a break uh, so I, I really liked that little monologue that that uh, Danny Glover gave I'm trying to think of any other moments you really liked um, there's there's a couple scenes that I, I'm not gonna say whether I, I I like them a lot but there's there's two scenes that I have issues with okay one of them is Tessa Thompson's in this movie and I really like Tessa Thompson and her character has like this art show but the art show that she has is just awful it's just bad it's just so bad it's it's but is it not a satire not a good... of um what are the, what's the name of those I, shows like performance art shows. Yeah, performance. It's a art. performance art show, but I don't know if it's supposed to be satirizing it because she's supposed to be like a moral principled person who's doing this out of like a, you know, she she does what she does to resist capitalism out of a, a, a proper sense of things, and then like her 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 art show, which is supposed to be a, about you know identity and stuff, is just terrible. Well, it's so, just so not for good. people who haven't seen, it's like she has people throw batteries and blood on her, at her, and she's naked. And was she? She wrote the word Africa or something on her body or something like that. I don't know. She's she's reading lines from a a movie or something. I don't remember. I just remember it being really bad. Okay. So I, again, um, maybe I got more meaning out of it. Like again, not literally. Again, I thought it was meant to be over the top, but I thought her whole logic was like she's choosing to sub subjugate herself to like you said earlier. It's what we choose to do for a dollar, and I think she was saying that like. We choose, like, it's not really much of a choice when people say, hey, you're thirsty, you're hungry, you have no better life. I'll pay you a dollar to, you know, do this terrible shit, whether it's, uh, you know, destroy the environment, uh, killing people for blood diamonds, having slaves literally to to, to mine for cobalt and, and rare materials. Versus she's saying, like, she purposely put herself in that situation she's choosing to for no money and to highlight these inequalities so that that's what i got from it 
again, maybe I'm reading way too in it. Maybe I was way too blitzed out of my mind. Um, who knows? But that was what I got from it. I don't know. What are your, what's your thought on that reading? Uh, I, I guess, but I, I think any time that, anytime that you need to go like more than two levels deep in order to be like, oh, this is what something's about. I, that's when I just say art has crawled, curled so far back around that it's gone up its own butt. Agreed. I just don't like that Listen, type of art. I know. It wasn't real <laughs> art though. Again, I still think it was meant to be a satire. I, I think that was, they were trying to vaguely invoke that and also be a satire because be so over the top. Because if you remember, the whole importance of that scene is Cassius then like stops it and she says like, I'm choosing to do this. Like, don't stop. This is the art, right? Yeah. I think the point is he's like hoard himself out that he feels like she needs to do it because he feels like he needs to become a whore to the system and sell these services that he thinks are terrible. And what she's doing, she's choosing to let horrible things happen to her for a higher principle, which is like she's raising awareness about these, again, um, environmental issues and stuff like that. So again, that's that's how I saw it. Um, I, I think it goes with it. But again, I think oftentimes with these movies like the, the the it's it's how you interpret it for sure but like there's so much going on behind the scenes that there's many ways to interpret it that are correct okay well I, i've got one other scene that i want to talk about then i'm just gonna have like a quick wrap up but the one other scene that i want to talk about is the party scene where um where Cassius is is asked to to rap for everyone and I, I thought it was really interesting that he's being asked to perform. He's being not just asked. He's essentially being forced to perform. But the, the performance isn't just that he has to rap. He a- has to act as what the I- their idea of a black person is for their entertainment. It's not the just the literal rapping that is the performance that they're demanding of him. It's they're they're demanding that he become a character for the sake of their pleasure, which is I don't know. Also, that scene, that party scene becomes very eyes wide shut after that. And then that's when I think stuff gets the weirdest is right after that yeah. scene. Well, so wait, and you said you didn't or you did like the rap scene? I did. I thought that was a good scene. Yeah, me I too. I thought it maybe went on for a bit too long. I think I think once you've made your point, maybe uh, yeah, you move on a bit. But I thought maybe that lasted yeah. a bit longer. But again, I still think like, again, I'm just looking over my notes. And again, it's like, you know, I think it was like he's doing it to impress this this powerful dude you know he's becoming someone who he's not and he's whoring himself out he's he's you know pimping out it's, his blackness yes yeah. anyways so um just wrap up i i really enjoyed the movie i thought that it at times it tried to do too many things at once um in a way that i think was uh kind of indicative of the fact that this was uh boots riley's first movie it felt to me like he had 900 ideas in his head and he felt like he had to get all of them into one movie rather than you know oh let's do these ones this one and then maybe i'll throw those no i feel like he just felt he had to do a hundred all of them at once very but ambitious i'm really yeah. excited about i'm really excited about what else he could do um because i think uh he's gonna have a really interesting career because uh, i thought it was a good movie thought it was a, a different view on stuff and i thought it was a very visually inventive and creative movie yeah looked great I, very funny i actually think unfortunately like the time lapse heard it in my review because i actually remember leaving and thinking like i was super i was like nine out of ten i really liked it and now i've i almost have mellowed on it but it's like it's hard to be as passionate this far away from it but i also think it's a movie that deserves like that does well with i won't say conspiracy theories but you know these like 
Do you ever watch Wisecrack on YouTube or anything like that? These people that like dive deep. Yeah, it's it's made for for that. Sort yeah. Of thing. So I, we've if we talked about Wisecrack, I, you know, we'll save that for another time. Well, so I'll I'll bring up one quick theory, for, not from Wisecrack, but uh, I went on Reddit because I was intrigued by this. So you know the guy who's got the eye patch, like the, the, the character the, the with guy no who's name, the upstairs guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a whole theory, a sub. Like on uh, on a subreddit about the whole movie's actually like it, I want to say it's like an inception, but it's like remember how he says, "Oh, I want you to be the false messiah and start a riot, and that, that'll distract everyone from their real problems." That whole yeah. thing. So if you remember correctly, that guy with the eye patch, the second Cassius starts the riot he just like looks at the camera and then walks away and you never see him again and there's this whole thing that he was actually there's like a larger world and we're like the slaves within this larger world and we're just all pawns and he was sent here to start that like move the pieces in place to start this riot and he's actually this like meta character that Cassius is is representing to and it was again it's confusing as fuck but it was really it kind of like it did make me think like yeah there is way more to do with that character and I definitely think Boots Riley probably had like more going on there but I also think that theory was like missing some pieces and it was very hard to follow but I, I strongly recommend you check it out that sounds to me like one of, uh, if we've ever talked about Wisecrack I have issues with Wisecrack because they're the exact type of thing that I was talking where anytime something bends over backwards so far that it ends up its own butt that's that's Wisecrack theories to me interesting okay um, so no, let's say for the most part. I mean, there, there's some on Red, like there's some Reddit theories that I like. There's some some of the things that they say on Wisecrack I like, but sometimes they just seems like they've got an idea and they bend over backwards to fit it to that idea rather than actually looking at the text itself. And I, I mean, I feel like I agree. And you know what we should call that? Because I know you hate what? him, Malcolm Gladwell syndrome. Oh, uh, I mean, I, 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 I. Uh, I, I don't like Malcolm Gladwell, and I feel like he does that. But and, and yeah, this is gonna sound odd, but I think that might be unfair to Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> well, so I mean, I've I've read a lot more Malcolm Gladwell than you, and I, you were the one that first brought this up, and I actually think the more I read him, the more I I agree with it, which is that like again, I think he's a brilliant author. I think he uh, finds great little stories and tidbits. I just find he finds these stories but he already has a theory and he tries to fit two or three of these stories together to come up with some unifying theory and he forces them in place sometimes. Sometimes they work very smoothly and sometimes less so. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't read him in a while, but I think that is, that, that's definitely kind of how I feel about some of his writing. But, um, his latest one I very much felt. Again, great book. It's called Talking to Strangers, and the first yeah. half is kind of about talking to strangers, and the second half kind of has nothing to do with it. And again, good book, but it just like I just feel like just the you know what it is. What's the what's the first line you write in a? It's a thesis, right? I find his thesis is the only thing that's wrong. It's like all the stories are interesting, but then he tries to find a thesis that ties them all together, and that's the only part I don't like is when he tries to tie them all. Okay. Well. Anyway, moving on. 
Anyways, so that was that was our uh, that was our movie of the week. It's now uh, my turn to assign a movie of the week, one which uh, I have not seen but I want to see. It's a movie that's on Netflix, so you should be able to watch it without any difficulty. It's called Good Time. Uh, it's by the, the Safdie brothers, the guys who did um, Uncut Gems. It's starring Robert Pattinson, and it looks really really interesting to me. I also just think that Robert Pattinson is an interesting actor. I find him a really interesting actor so- to watch. Okay, two things. One, did you see Uncut Gems? Not yet. I've I kind of feel like I want to good good uh good time came out first, and I kind of feel like maybe I should see that before I watch Uncut Gems. I don't think they're related at all, but I just kind of feel like oh, let's see what they made before they got this big, you know, standing ovation sort of movie. Fair. Which Uncut Gems. I'll was. just say this: I've spoken to many people that watch Uncut Gems, and most of them, not all, but most of them said the same. I got the same thing from almost all of them, which is one. That, Again, because it was on Netflix, they said, you know, I had to, I had to take a break in between. Um, like, I actually, it's actually crazy how many people... The only other movie I know that so many people took a break in between was um, The Irishman, and that's because of the length. This is not because of the length. This is because, and this is the number two thing people say about Uncut Gems, it's stressful. It's like physically makes you, like, your heart... R- r- like palpitate I, I can't even describe it it's like it really is stressful uh, stressful movie to watch and well, I was talking about it with Aaron there's not many movies like I always say I think if a movie makes you feel something strongly I think it's it's I don't want to say it's a good movie but it's like it's done its job like the goal of movies is to make make you feel something sometimes it's horror shock happiness awe um, sadness, whatever it is, and I I don't think I loved Uncut Gems, but I think it was a well done movie because it really made me feel a lot of things, and I it, it was very successful in that, but a very stressful movie. So, yeah. All right. Um, that's uh, also just for next week. We've got a debate set up that we both have talked about. We think it's a good debate topic. Um, is the populator more important than the inventor? And by that we mean, if someone is the the first to do something, are they the most important person in that, or is it the person that takes that idea and brings it into the mainstream in a way that brings it to the popular consciousness? Which one of those two is the more important creative force in uh, bringing new ideas about? So that, I think, is going to be a really good debate for next week. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I did not have... Josh, did you have a secret word this week? No. I I did not I did not have one. I had one that I was going to use but I just completely forgot about it. Uh so I will save it for next week. But um I guess that's a fail on both of our parts. Uh No, I I is... think it's good when there's not always a secret word. It's like it's like play Keeps action. You guessing? Yeah, you know, if you always did a play action, they would never bite on it anymore. So you got to you got to throw in a cut like this is the whole I'm going to go on a small tangent about football, but the game theory. Sometimes you got to do something suboptimally. Same with bluffing. Sometimes you have to go in with a bad hand because then you win more with your good hands because people then think you're bluffing. So I think it's you don't always have to have a secret word. Well, um, I, I did not have one this week. Well, so there you go. maybe maybe this is going to throw you off. Maybe you'll just be thinking next week, oh, we didn't have one. So no, next week I know you're going to have one now. But now maybe yeah. you know that I know. But you knew that I knew that you were going to put the poison in your cup. Yeah. So when was the last time you saw that movie? Princess Bride. I watched that with Rachel because um, she hadn't seen it. And I love that movie very dearly. I'm, like 
Yeah. I'm, Huge amount. I do too. I I want to rewatch that movie too. Yeah. I mean, I I, I don't think that I, I have. I, I don't think that's a perfect movie, but I will say that I have nothing negative to say about that movie. Okay, is there such a thing as a perfect movie? I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's movies that have the, the coveted 10 out of 10 rating from Michael Lipton. You know, the, that's the, that's what goes at the top of the poster. Okay, give me the top two. That top have the, two movies Well, of no, all time? just give me two that have your coveted... How many movies have your coveted top 10? Or 10 out of 10, I mean. I think seven or eight. Okay, so give me a couple. Uh, Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. Uh, Vertigo by Alfred Hitchcock. Um, Godfather 1 uh, by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, Apocalypse Now by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, uh, There Will Be Blood by Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, A movie called Stalker by Andrei Tarkovsky, a Russian film. Another Russian film called uh, Come and See, which is uh, by L.M. Klimov. And I feel like there's one that I'm forgetting. Uh, Pulp fi- is Pulp Fiction? I think Pulp Fiction might be a 10 out of 10 on my list as well. And uh, by Quentin Tarantino. I think that's uh, off the top of my head. That's what I got. True. That's, I don't know. I don't know. I know, that you ha- I know that you have opinions on There Will Be Blood that don't match up with my opinions on There Will Be Blood. I don't know. I've but, come um, around to your thinking more and more. Like, I still don't love the movie, no. but I, yeah. like, I don't... Uh, oh, uh, 2001 The Space Odyssey. Okay, that one I've never seen. Kubrick. So that I'd still like to see. But That is that is a movie that took me a lot of views to love. There Will Be Blood I'd like to rewatch too, only because I see the brilliance in it, but I also see... It's, a, a, it's, a, it's, it's kind of cold and distancing in some ways. I th- that makes it hard yeah. to... I mean, I think it's... I want to say it's like The Irishman, because it's not. Because The Irishman, I think it was a worse movie and poor, like worse edited but like it could be just generation generationally that like slow movies that really like set up the ambience and all that uh, maybe just underperform for certain generations but like it just didn't do it as much for me and it's funny because normally I think I'm better at watching those movies like I'll just give a scene Sicario which Lost I love. Scenario. You know that one scene that's like very long and drawn out um, at the border crossing? Yeah. That, okay. that is one of the greatest. So that's a great I, scene. I, I, I find action movies today is too much go, 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 go. And I think just like. That builds to it so perfectly. Yes. Though. And you so need when to. it does happen and that violence is like so quick and and harsh that all this buildup just explodes in that like. 12 seconds, really. Correct. And you know what's... What did I recently watch? I just watched something with Aaron. And I'm trying to think what it was. Oh, it was Westworld Season 3. I actually thought the action there was done very well because it built to it. And then you'd see, like, an explosion or, like, a big gunfight or something. But, like, it felt like a better payoff than, like, some of these movies that don't do the buildup and they just do the explosion and it just doesn't have the same impact. So like a smaller yeah. explosion that was like better set up and built up feels like a bigger payoff. And I find oh, the, the, the actual violence at the end of that Sicario scene, it's, it hits hard, but it's not like there's a big explosion or anything. No, it's just, just Correct. real blood. Oh, also, I just realized I forgot one of my movies for my 10 out of 10 movies. And you're going to say, how do you possibly forget that movie? Dark Knight? But Citizen, Citizen Kane. Oh, Citizen Kane. 
I also haven't seen it's that. It's like ever. the most obvious. It's, it's a very obvious. Well, pick, but I, I don't know it. because don't know it's it's obvious among like film historians, but like I don't. So I didn't love it the first time I saw it. Okay, I'll also give you like the art comparison, which is like if you ask what's like the most influential or like what art gets sold for the most, it's like I don't know if it's necessarily the best art. I think we often care more about like influential than we do actually best or yeah, most enjoyable. Um, I mean, one... What's his name? Gustav Klimt. He has a lot of paintings that sell for a lot, and I don't... I don't get them. I gotta be honest. I mean, I like them, but, like, are they nicer than... Like, I guess my point is, you know, there's some that are even by the same artist, and I think some of that artist's, artist's work is nicer, but it's less influential or less famous. Well, uh, Picasso's Cubist stuff usually sells for more than his non-Cubist stuff, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, and it's because it's more recognizable as Picasso. And I think it's... I, a, like, I like a lot of the stuff from his Blue Period that isn't yeah. very Cubist. But I think very... it's the same with... I mean, film's another form of art, but, you know, I, I don't know if Citizen Kane as a movie by itself... I don't know if you can separate it from its time period because I think part of what people love about it is how influential it is. I understand that it, it changed the way uh, films were shot. Um, well, here's what I'll say. It did not invent a lot of those things. It populated, it made them more popular. It brought them to a wider audience than for a lot of this. So this this is a pretty good uh, reason why we can talk about this next week. I mean, right. for not, not, to, not to end the conversation, no, but fine. like, this is a pretty good pretty good reason why we can talk about you know that sort of stuff i mean a lot some of the deep focus stuff some of here's my problem i i already know which side i want to support now i'm worried that you have the same side as me so we'll see well i mean i i have i have a side that i'd rather support but i i think i've got convincing arguments on both both sides of this one um but yeah uh maybe you're just a better debater than me maybe you're a master (laughs) debater i uh you know what? I, I think uh, I, I think in, in times of quarantine, everyone's a master debater. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Super quick tangent uh, on the side on that. So right. do you ever feel like, obviously you can buy stocks and only publicly trade companies, but sometimes I wish there was, like you could buy shares or stocks. Because so, again, like in something small or minor, like even some small business. Cause yeah, I was definitely like, Oh, pandemic. Oh, Pornhub is definitely blowing up their traffic. We right were talking now. about that Pornhub, yeah, Pornhub stock you were saying, but it's not, you can't, you can't buy Pornhub stock. No. As, as far as I know. Yeah. And I actually, I, it's funny. I actually did some reading on this. Apparently like most of the porn industry is owned by like what, there's like one company that owns like, most of the sites that like produce it, most of the sites that like um, host it, they own like an ad tech company that like works with um, that will like again help them uh, show ads to the people on porn websites. It's like crazy, but they own like they have some like huge monopoly share in the industry. It's crazy. Um, wow! I don't. I just I thought did it was. Not know that. Yeah, I know. I thought like I don't know why I thought Buy internet. Those guys. <laughs> well, I thought in, the internet would like open up the world of porn, but apparently it's only like made it more consolidated. Mm. Yep. That's. Well, this is uh this is the perfect place to uh, 
to end the end the episode. I think. Uh, I think. I think. I think. Yeah. If 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 any if any thought to leave you with uh, with our with quarantine episode, it's that porn is very consolidated. Now. Think about the business of porn. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what you should be thinking about next time you're watching any. Don't don't think about what you're actually seeing. Just think about hmm business models. Yeah. Are these women <laughs> being fairly compensated? Do they have health insurance? I wonder. I should I I would think. I don't know cuz are 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 they employees of these You think they're an independent contractor. They, Ooh. I think that they would be an in, uh, new app idea. Guess, app idea right here. Boober. Uber for porn, which is, hey, I'm shooting porn. I need someone to fill in. And you just like, you swipe. I'll do that scene. Boom. And you come. You need someone to fill in? Did you say- yeah. Forget, forget fill in. Like, you just, you can make your own porn on the go. Like, it's like, yeah, redhead. Sending out, and all redheads in the area would get something. And so, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Boom. I, f- I feel like that would work in only people, like a couple cities. People like need money, man. People where, need money where, in the pandemic. This, this is a true stimulus package. It's stimulating. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, if 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 any of this is something we choose to keep, I'm very glad that we've had this conversation. <laughs> yes, because this has been two brothers just talking. Just talking. My name is Michael Lipton. My name's Josh. See you next week. Mm-hmm.